Hello. We are live on the internet with you good people. Um, it is so good to have you here, Shannon. I'm so happy to be here. Any excuse to talk to you makes it a great day. <laughs> uh, usually we're not ready for a camera. You know, we had a mascara on, we did our hair. Um, yep. It is really fun. I and mean, we had a lot of fun oh. talking to each other all the time for a lot of years. <laughs> yes. Not always for fun reasons, but I love talking about leadership. Uh, that's much more fun than talking about the latest crisis that came up. That I yeah, but that is when you demonstrate the leadership, right? So I feel like I learned so much from you and I'm so excited for people to learn from you because I feel like I'm still learning from you. So it's been, I think now we've known each other, I think 16 years. Yeah. Is that right? It might be 18. I think we met in summer of 2004 at the Houston Institute. Uh, no, I was not at the Institute in 2004. Oh, then it, would, it was 2005? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. So, coming up on 17 years. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember meeting? Because I actually don't. I feel like I've always kind of known you. Like, you kind of I, like popped up in my yeah. world. I remember Maya introducing me to you at one point, being like, this is someone I want you to know. Um, I think that there were works in place to get you over on the Institute team <laughs> at that point, <laughs> even if they weren't happening yet uh so yeah no i remember going to visit your full site yes uh, edison a plus mm -hmm. a plus thompson was my institute school edison yes edison i well i remember so many good memories of the houston institute any teach for america alum watching you no know, of course the bouches moody towers oh yeah um, you and you have been to many many institutes in your life um but then we kind of popped up I feel like then when I did join Institute team four years after that, so which seemed like a lifetime, then that you were leading the National Institute operations team, always at the conferences, always helping to remind me. I feel like that's kind of when we started to regularly see each other. Again. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yes. And then I lured you. I was <laughs> started my school and we needed some operations help. And the first time you talked, do you remember the first time we talked about that? Uh, I do because you called and, you know, said I'm opening his clinic and I had just moved to the Chicago area, but I was going through a lot of personal stuff at the time. I was not ready to take out a new position. Um, and I was like, well, call me when you need a COO kind of half jokingly. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, you came calling. So. <laughs> well, it's funny because I remember you saying that maybe like COO, like mm -hmm. we need to get to like tomorrow. Like what kind of big organization? I think at the time I talked to you, we maybe had just opened and maybe had two grades of kids. Right. Um, you know, it was our first year and we just like need to get our ship together. And that really planted a seed though, because a couple of years later I was like, guess what it's time for yep. <laughs> our COO. And so you came on board in March. Uh, we're actually just circling up on the anniversary, right? March of yep, 2016. Mm -hmm. 2016. Wow. Yes. Yep. Oh yes. It certainly was before the 2016 election because I remember crying together in our office. After yes. It. <laughs> and it was right after the Teach for America 20th anniversary alumni summit, I believe. Well, was... speaking of, speaking yes. of 25th, here is a little throwback picture from that oh. time. That is what I dug up from today. Um, that was the okay. 25th anniversary summit. And you came by. And you hadn't officially started, but you were about to start. So right, right. I was. I basically my team. Uh, part of what we were responsible for was the operations around the summit. I said I can't leave before the summit, so I got to stick around through that. But I knew I was coming to you at that point, and I was like, and you said we're having a table. I said great. Came and met some of my future colleagues. It was wonderful. It was very exciting. Yeah. So it was really there was a little throwback to the younger, slightly younger, slightly brighter face. Yeah, we look like we got a little bit more sleep than we do now. There yeah. were fewer kids in the picture than I think, but or less <laughs> fewer kids uh, personally and there. But yes, that was, yeah. that was really good. So that was great. And I mean, really, I'm so excited to have you here because when you came on board as chief operating officer, I felt like it was such a pivotal moment for our school because we were really able to move from things that were kind of person dependent as often would be the case in startup land. It was kind of who can do what and where to more systems. You, I remember you telling me, look, this is what I do. I bring order to chaos. And I was like, okay, well, we, we got plenty of chaos for you. So <laughs> have at it. And you came in, you had like a 10 page transition plan ready to onboard. You interviewed me. You came in with some quick wins. So like, I just feel like you really helped not only get us through some of the early growth years to a high school, to a new facility, to our first group graduating. Um, and honestly, for you, it was the first time that you had worked. You've been in education for, I don't know, 15 years at that point, but it was the first time you'd worked in directly in a school or a school supporting organization as well. Exactly, which I felt like was a really important thing for me to do at that point yeah. in my career. I said, if I'm going to continue working in education, I need to actually get some more direct service. Because um, I had been feeling like as I'd advanced in my career at Teach for America, it was wonderful as having more opportunities, greater scope of responsibility, and also feeling further and further away from work uh, it, with kids and communities. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really wanted to get more into it directly and see more of a direct impact. And there's been no shortage of that in this position. So um, recess duty. Yep. 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 Like, yep. Oh, this kid needs to come take a test in your office today. Okay. Bring them on in. Yep. That's how it goes. Exactly. Your colleagues got a little smaller um, in some Mm -hmm. cases as well. So that is really great. Um, Excellent. Uh, Great. Well, really excited to dig in. So let's throw back for a minute. Let's throw back to that time of 2005. So pretty early in your career, but certainly you were already leading and already helping. Teach for America was about to go through a giant growth curve. That was the last, or no, that there were, my, our, my institute in 2000 was the last year of one institute. And then I think there were probably three then. And it went to like, by the time I came on board four years later, nine, maybe seven. In 2006, we went from three to five. And then we added one a year, almost every year until we got to nine national institutes. Yeah. Which is pretty. So, and you really were leading the operations team during that time and kind of mm-hmm. as a part of it and coming on board. So what were, you know, when you look back and now and think about your leadership journey, kind of what did you take from that? You know, what, what was like, mm-hmm. what are you looking back on that time of this institute growth and operations and, and creative team? What really kind of came to be from that? Well, when I think about me personally and my leadership, um, I think about, you know, in a time of such rapid, explosive growth, there were what um, Ami Eubanks Davis at the time, chief people officer, were just calling battlefield promotions, right? And so <laughs> there were a lot of us who were young and hungry and there. And so we were given a lot of responsibility um, at a relatively young age, you know? Um, and so managing people a few years after college, uh, you know, with no management experience and took over a team, I think three years after that, three or four years after that, um, and did so kind of on my own. And so the, you know, just kind of learning how to be a manager as I went, uh, taking as much development as I could from where I could get it. But I think the initial lesson that I took is, well, they like what I'm doing. They're promoting me. So I just need to get everyone to do it just like me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I've got this figured out. I've got the right way. My way is is the way to do operations for these things. So I just need to get everyone who reports to me or works with me to do it my way because I'm being told that I'm I'm doing a good job, um, essentially. Right. And being put in charge of more things. And then I really I think the big leadership lesson I learned the hard way during that time is there is more than one way to get to great results and to really focus on outcomes rather than process, which is particularly tough if you are a process person, like my job is process. Mm-hmm. Right? My job is to, how do I put processes into place, make them clear, make them easy for people to use. And sometimes there is in your version or your mind just one right way. Um, but learning that leading people is not about making them do it the way that you think it should be done, but making them have an easy process, but really focus on the goals and the outcomes. Mm -hmm. And that that's what you need to be getting at the end of the day. It was a very challenging and wonderful and also deeply humbling experience. (laughs) Yeah. As it often is. (laughs) I was like, when you said I had to learn it the hard way, I'm like, I don't know if there's any other way to learn it sometimes, you know? No, especially when you're 26 and you're pretty sure you know everything. (laughs) But I think that that is such a light bulb moment for so many leaders is when they're like, hey, if I just like, I really hold to these outcomes, I really hold to these results and really like get there lots of different ways. And of course, there are times you put parameters on it. There are times you say, here are the confines, whether that's budget or people or... You know, I don't want people to feel, I was just working with a leader the other day, like people can't feel very stressed out by this. So you need to do it in a way that will not evoke stress, which is different for everyone. But really, once you start to make that switch as opposed to do it my way, it really just also frees up your bandwidth tremendously, right? Um, And also makes people feel good because then they can bring their own spin to it. They will think of things you haven't thought of, right? That add something new. So, um, but it's scary. Yeah, it's really scary to let go of that control, you know, and especially if you're, you know, but we, you and I have talked a lot about how our greatest strengths is also the exact same thing as our greatest weakness, Mm. right? And so uh, for a leader who is coming into a position of leadership, because for example, they have a great deal of personal responsibility and have really focused on results and gotten a lot of work done. um, It's like, on the one hand, it's a huge strength. It's like, I'm going to get this done. On Mm. the other hand, it's a weakness of, I don't want to give control of this to anybody else because then I'm worried it won't get done if I'm not doing it and I'm not making sure it's it's being done the right way. And so that yeah. was another really big challenge of how to lead through others and get to results through others as opposed to saying, well, at the end of the day, I'm just going to do it myself to make sure it happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. Totally. So mm-hmm. in your leadership journey, have you ever had a moment that has been like, just smacked you in the face, right? You're just like, 
whoa, this is like, you know, sometimes we learn over time and doing things. And sometimes we have this moment we can crystal like picture and be like, yep, that's when I learned this. Yes. Um, any of those come to mind. Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. And it's one I talk about all the time. One of your favorite people and mine, Maya Hike Merlin, uh, was my manager for a few years at TFA and continues to be a mentor to me to this day. And she uh, was my manager when I first became uh, a manager of people myself. And so in check-ins, she would ask me about, you know, not only how am I doing towards my outcomes, but how are my people doing, their priorities, their goals. And after the first few times of responding, like, well, just ask them, like, why are you asking me? Ask them. She said to me, like, Shannon, you're their manager. At the end of the day, you are ultimately responsible for everything this person does. I need to be able to ask you this and have you give me the headlines. And mm-hmm. I honestly had no idea that was part of the job as a manager. Yeah. Again, like I said, battlefield promotions, I'm managing people. Okay. You know, and I'm just going to try and be a good boss and do what right. people have that I've liked have been my boss and avoid things that I haven't liked. Um, but I didn't realize that I was responsible ultimately for the work of my entire team. Um, and I just kind of was like, well, everyone's like me, right? You just are going to get it done. You're just going to mm-hmm. figure it out. It'll be fine. And that was a game changing moment for me it initially honestly caused me to swing way too far in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Like I had started extremely hands off and was like, do your work. I'm doing mine. Just come to me if you You're have a question. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Type thing. And then I think I felt very accountable to always knowing what my team members were working on at all levels, even way down in the details. Um, and I would get way too deep because I, I felt like, Oh man, I can't let my boss down by not knowing what's mm-hmm. going on with my team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now I found a better balance. Like if you ask me today, what every person on my team is prioritizing this week, including like a couple levels down. I could probably tell you, I could tell you like the top two or three things they're working on, how they're going, but I'm not like super deep in the weeds anymore. Um, part of that is learning how to manage at the right level. Part of that is learning how to let go. Um, and part of that is also necessity. Like I just don't have the capacity <laughs> to be yes. in every detail of everything my yes. team is doing. You would not be a very effective COO if you were, right? right because right. You know, if you were in the details of all of those pieces. Yeah, I couldn't get my own work done. Exactly. And so what when you think about that, you know, you mentioned kind of those layers, right? And how that works. Like in mm-hmm. one of your strengths, I've strengths coached you. And one of your strengths is discipline. So I feel like this is where your discipline shines is because yes. you will sit down and think, how am I going to know what my whole team is doing? Because you have a couple of direct reports, then you have people who work for them, right? You have m- many layers actually on your team. Um, yes. How do you think about getting that information at that right level? I think you do need to have some goals and some structures. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, I love structure. I thrive with structure. Some people don't <laughs> love structure. <laughs> my wonderful former boss. Uh, but I, I, like also, it fine. I don't need it in the same way, but it does. Exactly. You don't need it in the same it way. But I, do I don't need it. You need structure. I don't need structure. structure with my discipline strength. And I do think more people than not respond positively to structure yeah. because it does make them feel safe. And consistent, um, consistency and predictability, which like as humans, if, if the last two years absolutely. have gone nothing, we actually really need that consistency and predictability, right? Absolutely. Um, so if every week, you know, that you're going to come to a check-in with me. And the first thing I'm going to say is, where's your check-in document? And the first thing I'm going to say in that check-in document is what are your top three priorities mm-hmm. this week? And what are your top three updates for me from last week? And same for the people that you manage. Boom. And like, that's what we're always spending our time talking about. We're, we're looking at your goals and we're looking at your priorities. What are you doing to accomplish those goals? Um, and keeping it at that level. And then same for the people that you manage. Like then the next question is, how about the people underneath you? Yeah. Um, I get that information from their managers, but then I make sure to have the skip level check-ins and the direct points of contact, the whole team meetings on a regular basis so that there is that open flow of communication. And I can generally have that pulse at the right level of how or how are they doing towards reaching their goals? What are they working on in order to get there? And what are the challenges or barriers that I might need to dig into and help remove in order to help them be successful? Well, and what I hear you saying there too, is that you are absolutely using your relationship through the manager, right? As a source of information, but you're also gathering your own information because you and I both had situations where that middle person is maybe not quite doing the right job or their their perception of it is different than yours. And so how do you also gather your own, you know, data from, you know, meetings, skip all meetings once a quarter, whenever it might be chatting with people, observation, um, and using both to kind of assess where things are at. Yeah. The advice you would give me that was trust and verify, right? Uh-huh. Like trust it's happening, but also how are you making sure that it's happening? Um, and I do think structures like weekly team meetings that everyone is a part of, that you treat as sacred, and that have some traditions built into them, like some of the things that you created or that I've created that we, you know came from TFA, like always starting with a whip round, mm-hmm. for example, like always getting to know people on the personal level. And as soon as you have everyone talk, 
it removes the first barrier of talking, right? It leads yes. to engagement. So having Whipperin have shared responsibility for that, creating open communication is so important at the start of each meeting and then closing each meeting with immediate feedback. Yes. Um, which we, at Chicago Collegiate, we use rose thorn gratitude, mm-hmm. um, like something good about this time or in general, something bad, something you're thankful for. Um, and just everyone always knows that's coming. They know to be ready <laughs> to share yes. in both of those Pretty moments. Cool your, yeah, exactly. And it's amazing the things that come up, like even on my operations team meeting that I had just three hours ago, um, someone mentioned a thorn at the end of the day where we had apparently a really tough incident at school yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, and I'm still thinking about it. So kind of weighing on me, I'm still pretty upset. I'm like, I had no idea. I was able to then follow up with her directly afterwards, which that may not have come up without that very simple structure of here. Yes. Everyone just take a minute to share something that's on your mind. Well, and when we started doing that, I think we probably started about a year. We always had whip arounds and various structures. And I like to play with the structures probably too much, which does not make them as consistent and predictable. But the beauty of doing that one was it also started to really surface some stuff. Right. And it took a little bit for people to start to like, like I, there was a lot in the beginning of like, I don't have a thorn. And I was like, you have a thorn. Everyone has a thorn. The thorn can be that it's cloudy out and gray. The thorn can be that the meeting went over. The thorn can be that you're frustrated about the pace of work. But but you, you there's always something that could be better. And I feel like having that space, making sure everyone's spoken that, I think it started to surface some real issues that we were then able to surface and solve. Some of which I honestly had no idea as a high level leader, right? Because you just can't know everything. So it's you really rely in some ways on your people to raise it up to you. But you as a a manager and as a leader need to kind of provide those opportunities so that they are raised up. And give the real time in the moment feedback uh, and reinforcements, constructive reinforcing feedback when they do it. When she shared that, I was like, thank you so much for telling me about this. And I immediately slacked her after we hung up. Are you okay? Do we need to talk? So then like she's got this message of like, oh, my manager's hearing me. I'm getting something done here. This is a good place for me to be sharing. You know, and everyone else saw that too. So that right. somebody else who might not have had that thing to share now will remember in the future, this is how Shannon reacts when it is upsetting news or bad news or personal news, right? Because right. I mean, people are always watching you, right? Which is one of the Absolutely. blessings. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of strength, let's talk about your strengths because it has been so fun. And I think we've done strengths. I think the first time I ever did strengths, uh, the Gallup strengths assessment was in our overlap time at Teach for America, where we mm-hmm. did a team building exercise. Yes. Um, and then I later became a, we, we bootlegged it for a while, like collegiate. And then I became a certified Gallup strengths coach and was like, let me figure out what I was doing. And, and you were gracious enough to let me coach you then. Um, so do you want to, do you want to share with the people watching your top five strengths? Absolutely. So it's relator, discipline, communication, futuristic, and competition. Those are my top five. And I will say it was so interesting to me because when I was in this four day, like 40 hour Gallup strengths training, I remember learning about Achiever. And I was like, this has got to be Shannon because Achievers, if they say they're going to get it done, they get it done. Shannon chases goals with the tenacity of, I don't even know what the most tenacious animal is, but with the most tenacious animal. And it was so interesting because then a couple hours later, we learned about competition and I was like, aha. Mm-hmm. Actually, for her, it is for you. You certainly are someone who is achievement oriented, but for right. you, that competition piece is such a like part of that. It's not just about I'm doing this, but like who can I beat or how can I beat? And so it's that the tie. I think of the competition and the discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm, I'm motivated by the competition, and then I have the discipline in order to get to the goals <laughs> based on wanting to be the best. So consistency. But it's hilarious because yeah. I feel like you know whenever we were doing something, they'd be like, "Let's have a competition. Let's have a competition." It's like not yeah. everything competition is so great. You're like, who doesn't think competition's amazing? <laughs> it's like our strengths classes, right? We're like, who wouldn't be motivated by competition? And it's like, oh, there are actually people who find it very demotivating or yes, they're turned off by that quite a bit. And, exactly. and they, can't, they can't take another hit right now, like not winning the you know enrollment referral challenge or whatever it is. Right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, but yeah, competition made a ton of space there. So where do you see your strengths show up in your leadership? You've talked about discipline a lot. Yeah, um, I think discipline is important in particular in operations leadership, just thinking Mm. about, um, you know, because so much of what I do is, as you said, like bringing order to chaos, you know, and really helping put discipline and structures around things that where it's needed. Right. Um, I think, although honestly, when I think about like my leadership, I think the relator part is the biggest part that I rely on. And when I first got my results, I was like, I'm not a relator. I don't like people. Mm. Like, what is this talking about? So you don't like people. Right. Well, because I was confusing it with like woo. You know, I have a couple mm-hmm. wonderful colleagues who are very yes. strong woo strengths. 
Um, and I was like, that's not me at all. And then understanding the difference between relator and woo, where relator is like really good in one-on-one -on -one situations or with small mm -hmm. groups of people um, and in having empathy, right? And building mm -hmm. a strong personal relationship. Um, that is something that I feel like I use all the time because so much of leadership is getting people to do something. Right. It's influencing or motivating others to action. Um, I need to get others to do their part. And so when I I use like strategies in the book Switch quite a bit um, by yeah. Chip and Dan Heath, like that's probably the professional book that's had the greatest impact on my career and how I operate. Um, but I, in addition to thinking about like, how do you use clear goals and logic and emotional appeals and structures to get people to do what you want them to do? The biggest lesson I've learned honestly is that people will do what you ask them to do if they like you. Yeah, um, like they, they, you, if they want to do you a favor, you know, or if they feel like they owe you one or they just like you as a person, they're much more likely to respond to something that you need them to do if you've got that relationship. And so I I am very strategic about it. First of all, I do generally like getting to know people and I like people, too. So especially one on one, not in big groups. Um, but when I have those relationships, I use generosity of myself both because I want to and it makes me yeah. feel good. Um, to do favors for people, to give them my time, to coach, to mentor, to say, how can I make your life easier? But then it also cultivates a bank of favors and goodwill. Um, and that allows me to be more successful in my job because yeah. people like me. And so therefore, when I'm like, can you guys all just do this for me? They're like, okay, Shannon. you know, yes, we like yes. you and we know that you would do the same for us. So. Yes. Well, and that was one of the things you really prioritized. I remember at the beginning of your time as COO, right? And mm -hmm. and coming in, building relationships, getting to know people. And I will say too, one of the thing, one of the coach like ways to remember relator is like relators really like working hard with people they like towards a goal. And yeah. that is, I feel like, you know, you started your career interning at the Kip Foundation. You then worked at Teach for America for a number of years. You worked at Chicago Collegiate and, and in these very mission-driven organizations. And so that to me is like, click, right? Of yeah. course, this is it. And so of course, it's like working with your team, you know, gathering your team as well. Um, and so it's interesting, even your strategies, I'm like, I don't know if someone who didn't have relator or some of the other blue strengths, the relationship building strengths might use generosity in that same way. It really works for you. It really works for mm -hmm. others. And schools are generally, I think, very relationship heavy places. Someone who might be super big into strategic thinking might have really strong other ways, but I think it works for you. And also, frankly, makes you feel good, which is a huge part right. of it, right? right. Um, it brings you joy, it brings them joy, and it gets stuff done. So it's- I like genuinely like to solve problems for people. And yeah. so like when- in my first week on the job, there was an employee who approached me and she was having trouble with her um, benefits for some mm -hmm. reason. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to try and fix this for you. Yes. And I was able to get it fixed for her within a week. And she was just like, oh my God, you are so yes. amazing. I went and told other people how great I was. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I was just doing that because I wanted to anyway, because it's my job and you should have your benefits. So right, <laughs> but, right, um, right. that cultivated so much goodwill to have like early wins for yes. something that really means something personally to somebody, which then helped build the relationship and build that trust, which then those things snowball off each yes. other and lead to greater and greater success. Well, and that's part of where I think that that also, right, that employee is like, Shannon is amazing. She can do no wrong, which is great mm -hmm. because like in the many years that followed, there were several conversations about budget cuts or, you know, staff reductions, like yeah. not fun things, but because yeah. when you had the opportunity to solve a problem, do it, it also kind of led to this, um, you know, reputational boost as well. Yes, um, I, I feel bad for the leaders who come in and like your first thing that you have to do is make the budget cuts or, you know, like yes, do the yeah. unpopular thing. It, it helps so much more if you can come in and start with some wins that make people's lives or work lives at least tangibly better um, mm -hmm. because then it, it builds up that capital that you need for the yeah. Although I would say too, even in those situations, there's always wins. There's always either we've been without a leader for a while. Um, we were really frustrated at the last. So it's like, even just listening to people, even getting mm -hmm. their, even running it by them, right. Even if you do have to come in and make some tough decisions initially, right. It can be helpful to like, there are still ways that it can be a win in terms of the how, right. right. It's not Absolutely. like, you know, we used to joke, we always thought about Oprah giving out cars. You get a car and you get a car. And it's like, that's what we want to go up and do. We want to stop talking about. <laughs> yep, yep. But speaking of which, I feel like your communication strength, and then we'll move on from strengths, but I feel like that also is one that really came in handy in terms of your ease of communicating complex ideas, simply moving with people. And I'm going to put you on the spot. And the way you talked about the budget was always a great, easy, clear way for people to think about what is very mm -hmm. complex because school budgets yep. are 
large, have funding restrictions and multiple sources. Like this does not work like your home budget. And you, but yeah. but people, you're at a room full of people who are maybe thinking about it in that way. And so you were able to say, well, here's what we can do and how. So do you want to share a little bit of that analogy? Yeah, and I think I, I got it. The idea came from that book switch that I referenced because it talks about finding the feeling, right? Mm -hmm. And so as we were talking about like how do we help people understand a school budget, we was like we need an analogy here to help find that feeling. Um, and so the way we did it is by posing an exercise and saying, think of your dream house, mm -hmm. right? And so okay, your dream house might have all these things, and I'd show this picture of this beautiful five million dollar house in San Francisco. And then I'd say, okay, now though, think about you actually have to find a place to live, and here are ten different factors that you might rank. So they could include like close to, you know, close commute to work, um, square footage, outdoor living space, walkability of neighborhood, number of bedrooms, you know, all the things that people think about when they're looking for a home. And then we said, so assume you have your budget for your apartment, because all of us have a budget for our housing. <laughs> Very few of no one who worked at our school had unlimited budget. Right. And so we said, rank your top five to yourself, your top five and say, what are the top five things or in order. And then we did a turn and talk and have you talk with one or two people near you and compare your list. And so then I would give the example, like for me, great schools is number one. I'm a parent, right? That's something that I need to think about as my school district. Number two is number of bedrooms. I have lots of children. Yes. I need you know, space yes. for them to live. Whereas my partner was like, single man living in the city, wanted walkability of neighborhood, ease mm -hmm. of maintenance, like low maintenance living, like those are the top priorities. And so we talked about those and then we had people say like, this is how the school budget works too. There are 50 of us in this room. We could come up with 50 different iterations of this school budget because we all have different priorities and we're approaching mm -hmm. it from the school budget. And so there are going to be some decisions that you might not agree with because you don't have the same insight or level as to what, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're thinking about holistically when we're approaching the school budget. Um, and so we found that to be pretty effective because I think people then understood of like, okay, yeah. And we, we also tried to get there and we'd say to them, we want your input. We want your feedback. We want to know if it's like, if we just spend another $10,000 on copiers, your life would be infinitely better. Like that's helpful for us with budget yes, prioritization. Yeah. You're doing it on the ground, but we need you to trust that we can see the 50,000 foot version of this budget and everything that's involved. And like, I know about insurance requirements that you might yes, have to yes, understand, yes. you know, pension obligations, things like that, that are just going to be directing how we spend our funding. And um, I think that it's still an analogy that we use to this day. It's still an exercise that we do. And I think it really helps people understand like the different budgeting priorities and decisions. They have. Well, and one thing, you know, you are really my, you know, I, I jokingly use the headshots of Batman and Robin for one of the yeah. promos, but I had the Batman. I, I'm not going to take it off the wall because it won't come back on, but you gave me a Batman and Robin kind of plaque that I have next mm -hmm. to my desk now. Right. And I think one thing we also sometimes did in those conversations because, you know, we, I think had so much trust and work together so closely is we could say, look, Shannon and Beth come to the table with different priorities. And so this mm -hmm. is not like Shannon gets everything she wants and Beth gets everything she wants. We do not. The resources are limited and we yep. debate, we discuss and we talk about insurance requirements and we compromise. Exactly. And, yeah. and also look at the North Star of the strategic plan and where are we trying to go and what are we trying to do and what will help us build towards that. And so I think that that was really a, and I think for some people, there's an assumption sometimes in leadership, like you get everything you want and it's so easy, right. and you don't feel the effects. It's like actually not at all. Um, but, you know, because yeah. you did such a good job with that analogy, we were also able to, I think showcasing sometimes the disagreement can actually like make it more human and also yeah. make people understand we're all just people trying to do our best in these different roles. Um, I think the analogy also helped hit home that, um, you know, the idea of constraints and choices within constraints, um, yes. because there were some people at our school who felt like, I think we had an unlimited budget and they're like, well, why can't you just find the money for this? Mm -hmm. so it's like, well, like, can you just go find the money for a nicer house? Like, no, right, but then right. there were some people who were like, well, we're just broke. We have no money for anything. It's like, no. We're not broke. Like if you're, if I'm telling you you can't afford a five million dollar house in San Francisco, am I saying you have to live in your car, your parents? Right, right, no, I'm saying you right. have to live within exactly. your budget that you have. So I think it helps really illustrate that like every single decision we make is, yeah, um, and that we're constantly making those trade offs and revisiting all the time. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. I just had a flashback to an unrelated moment. Um, the first year of the school, we had a founding staff member who very sincerely was like. I understand we're a startup, so it's just really hard to have things like like pencils in the supply cabinet consistently. And I'm in my head screaming, no, it's because the operations person is so ineffective. Like, it's not it's nothing to do with being a startup. That's what this person's ineffectiveness. And I'm like trying to get the yeah. documentation in place so I can let him be on his way. And I was yeah. like, the problem we no longer had after Shannon is that we supplies were consistently where they were supposed to be and when they were supposed to be there so that you were not as a teacher constrained by them. So anyway, just a little flashback to that moment of 
I was like, no, no, we can have pencils. <laughs> well, that was a priority of ours. We said, and you said from the beginning, when you founded a school, that was something extremely important to you. If you did not want teachers paying for their own supplies, paying for their own copies, worried about limits on those type of things. And so that has been, as I've compared our budget to other schools' budgets, when I've talked to other people in similar positions, oh, I learn from each other. They're like, you spend what on copiers? I'm like, this is kind of core to who we are. Yeah. What we do and the experience we want for our teachers. But that might mean that we don't pick up as much of the pension match for them as you do. And so yeah. everything is a trade-off. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. It all is trade-offs. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of, uh, let's transition to what, that everything is a trade-off was always one of your good, like, core lines. You have several. Um, but what is some advice you have for other leaders? Um, there are two things I think I'm a broken record on at my current role that people, I think, see me coming when I say this. Uh, number one is feedback is a gift. Yeah. Um, and number two is people can't listen if they don't feel heard. Mm. Um, those are the things I think I say more frequently than pretty much anything else uh, day to day. Besides like, well, let me check the budget and get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> people are asking for money for something. <laughs> but I, feedback as a gift is one that I use and think about all the time as well. Um, and mm. I think that that also helps you know, especially as leaders, people can be afraid sometimes to give us feedback or afraid to say the thing or afraid to do that. And I think also when you say feedback is a gift, it's like, no, no, it truly is a present. And I think about that a lot in my current role, right? As a kind of solopreneur, like who's giving me feedback? How do I get this feedback? How is it? And it truly is a gift because it either helps me do what I keep doing, what I'm doing as well, or turns direction if it's not working for people. So I think that has Absolutely. been a big one. Yeah. Um, also, there are no carbs in a crisis is another good one. There are no carbs in a crisis, I do say. Yes, that is true. Another one I think you learned from Stephen Farr, I Teach for America back in the day. I remember vividly being in the back stairwell at, at Collegiate and you saying this to me at one point. I forget what precipitated it, but I remember you saying, nobody is indispensable. And I have- Stephen Farr did say that to me. He said, not one of us is indispensable. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And that is a good one too, to remember, especially in these times that are so- you know, there are, just, there are so many talent issues that are exacerbated right now. And so I think it's helpful to remember that as well for folks. Um, Absolutely. No one is indispensable. Yeah. When, it, when people hesitate to take vacation, they, and this is, I mean, this is a huge problem on the HR side, right? Is mm -hmm. um, the great resignation, which is really just a shuffling of what's happening mm -hmm. right now, um, given the current labor market, but also the burnout that mm -hmm. a lot of people are feeling in education in particular, um, mm -hmm. which is really tough. And I live in Indiana, one of the states that um, there's a bill that passed the House uh, that is headed to the Senate that would require teachers to post their entire curriculum for the whole year, all their lessons, by June 30th of the prior school year for parents to review and submit objections to if there's anything that they don't like. And so, like, I, and I have a lot of teacher friends here who are like, if I have to do that, I quit. Like, yeah. how am I supposed to tell you by June 30th everything I'm teaching yeah. the entire next year? You know, so there, there are very real HR problems that we're facing right now. And um, there's a lot of people who are sticking through these tough times and who are feeling a weight of a lot of responsibility and feeling like I can't take care of myself. Like I can't take a vacation. You know, yeah. the school can't function without me. Um, and it's like, yes, it can. The school yeah. functioned without you before. It will function without you for a week. Like mm -hmm. take your, your vacation, take your bereavement leave, take your family leave when your kids are homesick. Like that's okay. Uh, we are none of us as indispensable as we think we are because we also, we need people in this work for the long haul. Yes. And this is yes. extremely challenging work. Yes. And you need to recharge yourself, right? Refill mm -hmm. your tank so you can come back, right? And, and yeah. how do you do that as well? Um, so let's talk a little bit about, we both care a lot about equity and justice. And, you know, I think it's been interesting. You came to Collegiate in, the, in March of 2016 and we worked together through June of 2021, which were years that saw a lot of change and challenge with elections and- yeah police brutality and lots of issues. And we were two white women at the head of an organization that served 99% African-American children. Um, and so, you know, what are you thinking about when it comes to DEI? What are you thinking about right now? What, maybe I'll start with this. What are you proud of that we did? Um, and what are you feeling good about that you, you kind of can put, we're never fully done with this work, but you can say we've, we've done or we've made really good progress on. Uh, I think there's two things in particular. I'm very proud of how we diversified our staff. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly at all levels of leadership yes. where I am now the only white person on our leadership team, which I think yes. is far more appropriate for the community yes. that we're serving. Um, we went from being 33% people of color to now 33% white. And mm -hmm. most of our staff members are actually African-American, which more closely matches the community uh, where we work and the students who, are, who attend our school. So, um, and we did that very deliberately by thinking about how we define success, um, mm -hmm. by who we hold up as examples of successful employees, Mm -hmm. by whether any of that stems from values that are deeply rooted in white dominant culture and need to be re-examined. Um, 
and also being uncompromising about the things that we knew were still going to be true and that we cared mm -hmm. about because it ultimately led for the best things for kids and for our mission. Mm -hmm. Like we are a data-driven school. We are not apologetic about that. Yeah. We are going to be data-driven and how we operate because that is what is going to be most successful for kids and get us to our mission. So um, if you are not okay with that, then that's okay, but that, that we are not the place for you. <laughs> but we can mm -hmm. find, like we can be uncompromising about that while saying we can maybe compromise on these other things that aren't actually as important that we've always kind of thought were the way to do it, but maybe it's not. And maybe mm -hmm. we can look closer at that and say, this is not something that we need to be all that concerned about anymore. Um, really thinking about how to build diverse pipelines of talent um, that were more you know, inclusive, more equitable, like by relying on the people that we had, by expanding the places where we searched, um, by thinking about how to promote from within and cultivate leadership within the organization. So very proud of the work that we did there um, and of the staff that we have. Um, and I also think uh, the second thing is our turn towards more restorative justice. Mm. Uh, well, you know, following the national conversation and um, the move away from exclusionary discipline, in the mm -hmm. classroom, like all, the focus on keeping kids in the class being what's best for them. Um, because you and I both know, having worked in education for a long time, there are a lot of decisions that are made based on what's best for adults mm -hmm. and not what's best for kids. Um, and so the move, uh, you know, our suspension rates now are half of what they were two years mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. It's still not where we want to be, but it's much better. Yeah, like so it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Away from exclusion. Well, and it turns out, I think that restorative piece went hand in hand with some more trauma-informed work, which turned out to be yeah. very helpful when we were about to go through a total global pandemic. So, yeah. <laughs> And it did also help us with diversifying our staff because there were a lot of people who were not okay with that. And so they left. Yes, and so exactly. we found, again, if you're very clear about what's important to you, you can bring in people who are aligned with that mission. You have to test for it throughout interviews and be able to churn out quicker if they somehow find their way in and they're not a mission fit and you need yeah. to stay this is not the place for you. Best of luck in your future career journey. There is such a myth that um, great places don't have turnover. And it's like, no, 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 they just turn no. over faster. You faster. either stay for a long time or you're out faster. And so, and, and what do you do to kind of make sure of that? And I think a lot about, I'm actually talking with some clients now about doing some core values refreshes and some kind of big level stuff. And that's where I think it's helpful is like, we part of what we knew is that we can grow great teachers. And so mm -hmm. we were able to let go of some of the nice to haves that we might have wanted, like, you know, walking in with an experience or to, because we knew like if you had a data driven orientation, if you believed all kids could work, we could grow you and we were confident in that. Those big picture pieces can really be so helpful in these day-to-day -day decisions at the hiring team meeting or wherever the case might be um, as you're going through. So yeah, if, if you're hungry for feedback, if you are data-driven, if you want to do right by kids and believe in all kids, we can make you a good teacher. We can yeah. and we have a really good track record. We knew of that. that. We were really confident that, but all mm -hmm. schools cannot say that, right? And yes. all schools maybe don't want to say that or invest in their leadership, whatever it is. And so how do you know like who are we as an organization? And how does that look like say what's what's the right fit, right? Um yeah. it's true. Um, so let's talk a little bit about managing through layers, a little bit more about it. So, you know, you we've we've talked before, you and I, a lot about the difference between going, and we talked about it earlier, from being an individual contributor, where you are responsible for your work output, to then managing a team, to then managing people who manage teams, right? And so when you think about those three levels, what do you see as some key considerations to keep in mind? Yeah, I think it's your both your work values and what you spend your time on. Um, mm -hmm. So you can't value the I'm going to get it all done and I'm going to feel good about what I got done. <laughs> like you have to value producing work through others. You can't have that if I want it done right, I'll do it myself mentality. Mm -hmm. um, you just can't do the work of a team of 10 people or 12 people or 50 people yeah. or whatever. So your job is going to be to build capacity of others as opposed yeah. to knocking stuff off work and checking things off. A lot of weaknesses. You love the check mark, right? It feels good. But the check mark mm -hmm. is like I did my um my career conversation with so and so, right? right. Or it, it becomes the check mark becomes different. But um, I had to turn um something that, that was very successful for me as a person who loves the lore of the lessee check mark is to turn my managerial steps into managerial project plans and action plans. Oh, but I had things I was putting on my list and checking off. And being like, I have had this skip level meeting. I have written this performance review. I have reviewed this person's roles and goals. Um, and I have given this person like quick feedback in a walkthrough. So knowing that that was still something I could do that felt concrete and that felt like I'm advancing this person's capacity as opposed to me sitting down and being like, let me type up this memo, you know, which yeah. can feel more instantly gratifying. So you have to like trick your brain, you know, and create those. Exactly. Things. Exactly. I'm really oriented to like, where is your value at? And as a manager through layers, it's not the individual contribution. 
it's not. And then the other thing that that feels, um, the job just feels more negative as you get higher. Mm. By the time things reach my desk, you know, when you're an individual contributor versus a team leader versus like a a unit leader, an organizational leader, um, is it doesn't make it to you until it's a big sticky problem that nobody nobody else can solve. So um, I also think having to let go of that mentality of, I'm expected to have all the answers and be able to solve everything mm-hmm. um, because that's the thing too, is like that can feel like, oh, this is part of my job, right? It's, no, it's again, it's building the capacity of your people to solve their own problems. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that it's like, nope, this has just got to be me. Okay. I'm the person who calls the lawyer. I'm the one who handles this situation. I'm going to go deal with the complaints downtown. Yeah. But there is some of that where the buck stops with me, but it's not as much as we think. If we're having issues with the gender, for example, my job is not to step in and be like, well, I'll take care of it. I'll be the heavyweight. My job is to coach the person who's managing that, managing that relationship to help her be able to have that conversation. Yes. So she can do it successfully. So, um, I mean, one of the very first managerial articles many of us read is about the, who's got the monkey, mm-hmm. right? Harvard Business Review, classic for a reason, but it's just so important to keep the monkey where it belongs, to not take the monkey on your back. So, yeah. And what is my role to help you with that, to practice, to be mm-hmm. safe? I mean, I think so often certainly in education, people, like what you were describing earlier about, I was good at what I did and then I got promoted, but it actually requires a whole different set of skills. So how do yes. we help people build those skills as manager? Or how do you, as a manager of managers, help them build those skills? You know, it requires, there's a learning curve to it. Yeah. Um, absolutely. What else do you think about managing through layers people should keep in mind? Uh, yeah, I think it's not skipping steps to build relationships and understand people's work styles and strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've talked about how that early foundations of goodwill can help you so much later on. Mm-hmm. So if anyone comes onto your team at any level, you need to have a get to know you conversation. <laughs> you need to know who this person is, what motivates them. Are they a morning or evening person? How do they like to receive feedback? I want the first time you give them feedback to be like completely blindsiding. And they're like, I don't want to be, I want it written. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, there's such a period of time where it just, they, they're, right. they're expecting to be at the new job and how do you take advantage of that and saying yes. And now let's Absolutely. actually ignore them and, and study set on some of these issues. And you kind of, it can be so tempting to skip that and be like, yeah. let me just dive in. Let's just get to work. It's like, no, you really need to lay that groundwork um, and really try and build that relationship in order to be successful working together. Um, but yeah, the, I also think the best way most people learn is by doing, mm. um, and the best professional development I've ever gotten is just on the job, right? Real time mm. practice on the job. Like there's so many things that I think about that, like, God, I used to just be terrified of and not good at, like putting someone on an improvement plan or terminating them or delivering constructive feedback, having a difficult conversation. I was scared to death to do all those things the first couple of times. And now I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, I got this. Like it's totally, I just practice, 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 practice. So the best favor you can do for your people is give them authentic practice, right? Mm. Don't take the work away from them. They will only, they will learn best by doing. Um, So always trying to figure out how to, you know, take those deliberate steps to say, how can I not solve this problem for this person? but help this person learn by doing to solve the problem for themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. So we did a lot of leadership development work at Collegiate and you deserve a ton of credit for whipping our operations team into shape and, and not only just like getting the operations of the organization in shape, but also building a team up, creating a team, working on that muscle, right? Helping with that. So what actions did we take or would you advise other leaders on if they're in the same boat? Um, I, we already talked about like some low hanging fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Try and get some early quick wins to build trust and goodwill and momentum. Yeah. Um, I think being exceedingly clear on your vision and expectations, as well as the why behind them is always important. And again, like my natural inclination is process where I don't want to start always with the what and the why I want to get right into the how yeah. tacky and hit the 10 step checklist. But like you, you, it's your job as a leader to pull everybody up to the yes. what and the why. Yes. Right. Where are we ultimately trying to go and why is that important? Because that's what's going to orient everyone on the same page way more than a 10 step checklist. Well, yes. Yes. You know? um, and I do think the lesson that I've learned the hard way many times I talked about fast turning. Uh, I wish I could have done a lot more of that sooner. I mm-hmm. think I could have gotten our operations team to an even stronger place much faster had I been willing to churn a little faster and, and let some people move on to a better fit in their career as opposed to keeping them on staff a year too long. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think the other thing, so when I'm thinking about operations work in particular is like the importance of routines and consistency. Mm. And we talked about this a little bit, like always starting and ending meetings in the same way. But I even think about um, the filling the supply cabinet, the sending the weekly attendance report, the keeping check-ins, 
the little, if you miss the little things, they can turn into big things. Yes. Yes. And so in very busy weeks and months and seasons, it can feel like I don't have time to be doing this. This is mm -hmm. not the best use of my time to be having this skip level check-in with this person. I'm just going to cancel this month. It's fine. We'll make it without it this month. And the problem is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm -hmm. And I have regretted doing that more often because it creates way more work later yes, yes, than just yes. having the 10 to 15 minute check-in would have been. So I have to treat my routines as sacred. And there are some things that just have to happen all the time to prevent little problems from becoming problems. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that also gives that routine and predictability. And you and I used to talk obsessively about habit building, getting people to observe, adapt habits, build habits, right? Because that really is what it is. How do you get yeah. people in a large organization? And for some, some people, it's the why. For some people, it's the checklist. For some people, it's the visual reminder when they walk in the door, right? But it really is thinking about it from a variety of perspectives right. as well. And the more it's a habit, the less you have to think about it and the more you can think about the things that really matter. You and I talk often about the Obama wearing a blue suit every day. Yes. Office. It's, just it's, what it's just what he did. It's just what you do. And that's just what you do. And, we yep. just and this do is just way. how you're going to take attendance, everybody. everybody. This is yes. just what we do. And we're going to run That's such a great example because there were mm -hmm. times where it was like, well, you take it the way you want, Shannon. You take it the way you No, no, no. Nope. There, there is, this is not a key lever. No, nope. <laughs> it's not something we should all be spending our time and energy thinking about. This is no. just the way we do it. Yeah. yeah, which I think was part of you also really helped us move from kind of person dependent or person specific to just like, this is the way we do it here. Right. And which is very really normal that, as organizations start yeah, and grow totally. in the beginning, you want it to be more person dependent. And as you're trying to figure out who you are and what you're about. And then you reach a tipping point where you just can't yes. do more. So. Or you see the cost of, right, the transition or the way of doing or where it is. But it's interesting to think about how it just also really helped to be clear about, like, this is the operations team's thing to figure out how we're going to do. And let's be clear that we want to do it in a way that is, like, you know, takes, is efficient and effective and doesn't take time away from teaching and learning, right? And so make that work. And then we will all take attendance the way you say, right? And, yeah. you know, it'll be good. Well, let's go into lightning round, um, some recommendations. So what is, you've, I have a feeling I know from your earlier answers, but uh, a book you've, that's meant a lot to you professionally that you would recommend. Uh, Switch for sure by Chip and Dan Heath. I use constantly, but I would also you would say, say me, what about the, what's the rider? Is the rider the logic? Oh, yep. Direct the rider, motivate the elephant, shape the path. Those are yes. the three. Yep. The three things. Yes. I'd say so, like, what about your rider, Beth? Where's your logic? I'd be like, but I've got the feeling down. <laughs> yeah. But you also introduced me to radical candor, um, ah. which has been life changing for me and something that I probably also refer to almost every day when thinking about care personally challenged directly. Um, just saying it, just giving the feedback, yeah. not holding yeah. back feedback as a gift. So uh, radical candor would highly recommend. That really helped, I think, us to move right from a place of mm -hmm. ruinous empathy, which is just caring personally, but not challenging yes. directly to yes. a really healthy organization um, as well. Um, how about any other, I mean, I was a reading teacher, so I always have the book recommendation, but people also no. get news through trainings, podcasts, resources, websites. Um, anything like that that's been really impactful for you? Uh, the Management Center I yeah. find is a huge re resource for me. And I will still to this day be like, yes. I wonder if the Management Center has anything about this and go check their website. And they have a yeah. whole bunch of stuff there available for free. I've been to some of their trainings. They have fantastic trainings really geared specifically towards nonprofits and management and just awesome stuff that's really simple plug and play stuff to use. Yes. Yes. Everyone can use it. And it's just good practice, mm -hmm. right? It's really, there's yeah. no need to reinvent the wheel. Um, how about your personal mentors, like from your real life? You mentioned Maya earlier, who yep, is Maya Hike Merlin of the Together Group. Um, you, I would put as one of their, I've, I've been fortunate to have some really badass boss ladies uh, <laughs> who have been my managers and mentors over the past several years. And the other was Min Kim, who was my manager oh, for man. seven years yes. at Teach for America, yeah, who was just phenomenal. She is really great. Um, they're good people. I think that's like one of the things is we get a little bit more seasoned in our career is you just realize how many great people have been there along the way and helped you grow and develop and been there in the trenches with you. Yeah, um, sure. And you know that I am big on mentors from afar, AKA how Bruce Springsteen teaches me about <laughs> leadership. So are there mentors from afar, AKA you don't know yet, yeah. right? Who've helped you um, and shaped your understanding of leadership? Uh, I think we all want to be Michelle Obama when we grow up. Uh, so yeah. she is one for sure that I've watched and admired for years. And her book uh, has also really stuck with me. Um, we wanted to go see her speak. We did. We got to go on her book tour at the United Center, hosted by Oprah. Yeah. Yes. Um, really and fun. then Sheryl Sandberg also. Um, and she has received, I think, rightfully so, and has responded to this criticism about um, you know, privilege her, and, her, yeah. her and, yeah, privilege and white privilege and like, you know, et cetera. But 
I also, I have been part of that, you know, that is something that speaks to me. So given my experience, and so I found her being in very helpful as well as her subsequent writings. So. Yes, option B also actually just reread over the Christmas break mm-hmm. and it's a good one as well. Um, so what about, what's something you're loving your life right now, just generally? Carpools. 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 Okay, carpools. Life-changing. As a person always looking for efficiencies, my children are older <laughs> now and I feel like half of my life is being a chauffeur. To various activities and when they're little and in car seats you can't really do carpools right because you can't yes. move the giant Britax thing from car to car just doesn't work and now I have kids who aren't in car seats and I was so afraid at first to reach out to their friends parents and be like hey they're both in science Olympia do you want to trade off who's doing which day and the reception has been amazing people are always like yes and so now I'm setting up carpools all the time and I am spending half as much time as the car as I was last year and I'm so happy I do feel like an Uber driver sometimes. Yes. Like I really do. And my kids are like, where are the snacks? Where I'm like, hello, yep. <laughs> take my rating. Okay. You have no other choices. Um, yep. Do you do them just like, uh, do you, will you do them like from school, like every other week? So it's one way, or is it more like one person? Brain my kids bus back? to school. So it's really okay. more for activities. But so for okay. example, Lorelai has, um, my 12 year old is in a travel soccer league. And she has practiced two nights a week at a place that's 35 minutes away. Um, And I was able to find two other semi-local families where we all meet up at one person's house and then we rotate. So I only have to do that drive every three weeks. Um, And then another mom does it the second week. Another one does the third. Then we meet back up to hand off the kids. And so it is so much better. So much better. That is genius. Genius. Mm -hmm. Oh, I really miss all these tidbits that I get from just working alongside you every day. Um, Yeah. That is really good. Well, thank you so much for coming, Shannon, and being a guest. And also, I feel like, can I share your why we had to get you on in February? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> flashback, we've got baby girl hacks coming in a few short weeks. So yep, going back to car seats. Yes. <laughs> so that car seat advice, you got to really just ride it. But, you know. Yep. Yep. She's the fourth kid at this point, so she could be tied to the roof. You'll be fine. You'll be, be fine. She's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's so great. But I so appreciate you coming on, coming on literally about to give birth. Um, yeah. And if you are someone who's out there listening, who is thinking about managing through layers, some of bringing order to chaos, the pains of growing organizations, and you want to talk, my website is at the bottom here. Book a call with me and let's chat complimentary and think about how you can help really conquer the challenges of leadership and maximize your people. Um, and if you're like, I don't know what to talk about now, but I want to learn more, there's my website, my Instagram, Facebook, um, and LinkedIn. So Shannon knows the great joy of my life is really helping leaders develop. Um, and that was true when I had a team full-time working for me. And now that I don't, it's nice to be able to work with folks all over the country as well. So I really appreciate you coming and being with us. And congratulations on everything you've accomplished. Thank you. Really Super excited. fun. Yes. I'll vouch for your, your leadership coaching has been just <laughs> instrumental to me. I'm so grateful for so. Well, you make it easy. So yeah. that is that is a mark. We've had some fun too. So some good laughs. So thank you everyone for tuning in and joining us and looking forward to seeing everyone next time on live on leadership. <laughs> All right.